0: You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shimaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. How does this go? Welcome. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. One year later. Well, it's been a big year. It's been a big year. We, uh... I don't think we meant to take a year off from the Pastoral Calling podcast, but... Life happens. It happened. But we're back, and that's what matters, you know? We don't dwell on... The past. The past. <laughs> <laughs> we are here in the present. And so it's, uh, it's... We've been looking forward to getting another recording out and hopefully getting back on a regular routine because, you know, all of our fans have just been flooding our inboxes they're beating down the doors. The tweets have been piling up. Um, I haven't gotten any tweets. Have you gotten any emails?
1: It would help if I was on Twitter.
0: Okay, right. But either somebody, way... Every
1: once in a while, somebody says, are you still doing
0: that? <laughs> it's like, oh, hey you guys did that podcast, didn't you? Like, no, that's the other Matt you're thinking of. Solid 20 episodes. It was. But you know what? Never be satisfied. That's what America
1: teaches me. So we're back. <laughs> With episode 21. 21. Sweet 21. Lucky number
0: 21. Lucky number 21. And uh, we don't have a guest today, but we're just going to kind of catch up a little bit. Matt and I have, I mean, it's been a year, so like everybody's life, things happen in a year. I think this year for me has been, I guess, kind of where I am now from where I was a year ago is markedly different. I imagine probably the same for you. kind of As far as like personally
1: and ministerially and professionally and all that stuff. Yeah. You think about your life and you don't, things are changing on a regular basis, like a growth process. You know, i watch my kids grow up and suddenly they're taller, Right. but you don't think about the fact that they've been getting taller that whole time. You just notice one day. And I think that ministry is like that. And, uh, even, uh, and a work like this podcast is like that. Yeah. we, we're constantly growing and if you step away from that constant growth, you haven't seen somebody in a year. Yeah. You know, and you then all those changes are there. Yeah. And it's very dramatic, but it hasn't seemed dramatic during that time.
0: You know how many times people tell me when they see me after like not seeing me for a few months, they go, have you grown? Are you taller? Which I haven't. So this doesn't really You're just relate, carrying yourself I, with more confidence. I usually, It's really awkward because I usually have to like make kind of like a offhanded comment rather than saying, no, of course I haven't grown. I'm 33 years old. I don't grow anymore. Uh, I usually say something like, oh, I'm just wearing my high heels today. It usually gets a laugh. But, <laughs> I mean, when one. you're 6'4", I think people just forget that you're tall. But anyways, exactly. <laughs> you're uh yeah i know what you mean and especially so it's interesting i think with kids it's very noticeable i think the younger the kid is the more noticeable it is because that for yeah yeah, like Isla's a year and a half now and like i don't notice it but i know people who haven't seen her for a while they like are unbelievable you can't believe you know when you see it's a baby and now six months later or whatever it's like walking around and calling everything poop and, you know, that sort of thing. So. Is that what she does? Yeah. So at some point... She does have a greyhound. Well, that's exactly it. So we'd take the dog out in the backyard to to use the, the potty. And I'd say, Stanford, let's go out and go poop. And then uh, I'd say, Allie, you want to come with me? And so at some point, she connected the yard with the word poop. And so now she thinks outside Anytime is out if she wants to go out and play in the yard, she just says poop, poop, poop. Could
1: make potty training really interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, now she's like she's learning. <laughs> There's another meaning for that, which is which is good. But the the one thing that we're trying to work through now is she has this word hawk, which I read as H-O-C-K. I suppose it could be H A W K or H A U C K Yeah. So she uses this word for um, rock, the verb. Like, I want to rock, rock me in this chair. She uses hawk for rock the noun, as in, I want to pick up rocks. She uses it for walking, like when she wants to walk. Uh, she uses it, and there's like four or five different uses of the same words. It's that know. rough breathing, hawk. Yeah. Yeah. Hawk, hawk. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> the growth process. Hawk me mama like a wagon <laughs> wheel. <laughs> Well, I I was talking. Here's another change new intern at Celebration. So I was talking to intern Andrew the other day. Oh, we got to have him on the podcast. Oh, we will. But I was telling him this exact same thing. And I said, Yeah, she says hawk for like rock, like as in the verb, as in the noun. And he goes, Like the actor? It's like no, not the pronoun. The Rock. She she doesn't call <laughs> Dwayne Johnson and say Hawk. <laughs> and so then we thought, Can you smell with the Hawk, Dwayne game. the Hawk Johnson. <laughs> oh man, We're she, get, get him on the podcast. We will get him out here. She is a big fan of Moana though, which that could be could be in there. Anyways, growth happens, and over the year, if we stop, and I think an opportunity like this where we ha- had like. We did this a year ago. Now we're doing it a year later. Uh, I think we can look back and kind of see how God has been moving in our lives. So, what have you been up to, man? I mean, you're you're s- still here at the school, cranking yeah. away, but no longer Grace Bible College. That's big news, right? Yeah, that's Beginning big news. We now, did our
1: we did our press release. We're going to be Grace Christian University. People are really excited about G-C-U. that change. GCU. Yeah the The most exciting one for the students, I think, is moving from Grace Bridal College to Godly Couples <laughs> University. I've heard That's, Grace Courting University. Yeah, I think thing. Godly Couples won, out, won out over okay. Grace Courtship, so <laughs> nobody really uh, is interested in courting anymore, <laughs> except for Josh McDonald
0: or what is I guess.
1: guess dating, hello, yeah. When he met his wife, <laughs> so it's a big season of transition at the college, and. It's, uh, you know, everything's going to change. It's, it's rebranding, it's logo, it's, you know, every item of print media, they're,
0: every uh, being, digital. They're being willy-nilly giving away all their old promotional oh, material. Yeah.
1: You flood the market with the old Grace yeah. Bible College stuff. But um, really the, the idea is that with this identity shift change, it's going to, you're not even supposed to wear the old stuff anymore. It's right. going to be a complete... A complete reset of the whole institutional identity. Got to burn that shirt. Yep, so I just wear this stuff as much as I can now to (laughs) to get rid of it. Um, But what about for you? I mean, is that going to change what you're doing? Yeah, well, for the past three years, I've been working uh, in the graduate program, working with you and other students, and I'll still do that in a teaching capacity, but I really saw my role as one of kind of pioneering, um, beachheading this whole graduate program's effort to... Get the accreditation for graduate programs to offer master's degrees to get the ministry degree online. And then this past fall, we got the uh, organizational leadership master's right, degree. Second, so this offering. is good advertising for that. <laughs> if anyone wants to sign up, email you, I'd give you the web address, but it's going to change. Tweet so, us. <laughs> yeah. We can uh, put that in the show notes. Yeah. Show notes. We've never done show notes. I no. don't even know what those are. Probably won't. Yeah. Put all the links and stuff in there. Links. That's a good idea. Anyhow, so I'm going to go back to more full time teaching hmm. in the traditional undergraduate program, and that will look like teaching the classes that I've always taught: philosophy, theology, philosophy, ethics, a um, little bit of Bible.
0: It's funny. I was um, having I was hanging out with my friend, our friend Mason, Mason mm-hmm. Slater, last night. If you're listening, to Mason, hello. Um, and he had you as a professor had to be close to 15 years ago now. It was a you while. You had me as a professor 15 years And we were, we were kind of together. Yeah. He was like, you're behind mm-hmm. me. And he still, like, just last night, he referenced something you said about, in one of your classes, about how um, theology, and especially like kind of like the Chalcedonian Creed, I think, gives us kind of like a limit of what we can or cannot mm. say about the deity, but it also provides a jumping-off point of like, and it's interesting, like, that... I think stuck with. Yeah. That just struck me as he was talking about that last night. I was like, wow, like that's Matt would, I think Matt would love to hear that, that like, Mm -hmm. you know, these little things.
1: Yeah. Those, there's those little moments for, for everyone, whether it's pastoral ministry or whether it's a a classroom setting or whether you're involved in, in teaching in some other capacity, you have those moments of your teaching that people really remember yeah. and sometimes you don't even remember those yeah. people will ask me well you do, do you still do this assignment yeah and I thought "Ooh, I have not done that assignment in a long time but but that would be a good one so
0: much of it I think has to do with uh, I think even like the way that we experience art it has so much to do with what's happening in our lives at the time and so it's like it's not just the thing that you said but it's like this whole confluence of like What I was doing and what was happening, what I ate that, you know, and all of those things helped me to remember this particular song, like this song or this piece of art resonates with me more, not because it's necessarily better or worse, but for whatever reason, it hit me at the right time. And I think that's the same thing with sermons and with teaching, like whatever was happening in your audiences, for lack of a better term, life at that time just really resonates with them and it becomes like this sticking point of like memory and just a a really big foothold for them, I think moving forward. So some of that we can control and some of that we can't.
1: Yeah. It's an encounter. It's a life changing encounter. And so you don't have to worry so much. I I don't worry so much about, you know, was I really on this day? Was I, was I feeling off this day? Because it might be a day where I fell off and said something that for whatever reason, the way I said it at that moment stuck for someone. And so it's really just a matter of being prepared and I think being the kind of person who has something to say rather than worrying about what it is you're going to say. Yeah, and uh, that's
0: kind of leading me in a lot of directions thinking about the sermon, and we could talk about that, but I want to come back to kind of what you're doing. But just this idea of being faithful in your preparation and um, kind of creating the environment where the word of God can not only be proclaimed, but can be received. And then allowing that work to take place. That's, that's so important, but we'll come back to all that. So you're,
1: so you're getting back to teaching. Sure. And, and what that um, decrease in administrative role is going to allow me to do is be more involved uh, at eighth day gym downtown. So what is that? So that's a CrossFit gym. CrossFit. Yes. Sweet, bruh. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, my wife and I have been involved uh, down there at Eighth Day Gym for three, four, five years almost. I think almost. longer than, I think. Probably wow. close to five years yeah. coming up this fall. And involved is like a, at varying levels yeah. because, you know, I think we had a baby in there somewhere and took a break <laughs> and, um, you know, involved in different capacities. Yeah. But I've got a great relationship with the owner and the coaches there and, you um, I just have appreciated the opportunity to grow and and pursue um, health and fitness in terms of lifelong learning Yeah. and in a holistic way. And we talk often about um, spirituality mm-hmm. and Bible study and church the, ministry. Here on the podcast. Here in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's one of the things we've talked about outside the podcast, I think, is the importance of holistic yeah. life and the way that your physical health and diet and exercise affect your ministry. Mm-hmm. And so being able to minister, and I would say minister, like serve people in terms of their physical health, um, even if they're outside the doors of the church, that opens up the possibility for relationships and even gospel conversations that yeah. are really cool. Yeah. And even beyond that, it's
0: just a healthier way to be a human, you know? <laughs> so even if it doesn't lead to, any sort of you know big conversion experience or whatever it's important for us to model that yeah and i know for me kind of looking again back on this year this year that's been something i've kind of been forced to learn just with you know when you got a lot going on not only with ministry but family and school and all of that stuff um things can kind of sneak up on you and uh and just this whole year really recognizing the, the connection point of spiritual health and mental health, <laughs> physical health and kind of nutrition and all of that stuff really working together um, so that's been a big a big deal for me too so I, I
1: think what you're doing there is that's obviously important. Yeah, it's a whole package and really enjoy it uh, really enjoy the variety. I mean, we're constantly moving back and forth from, and, and you have to shift mindset from college classroom teaching right. theology to right. now I'm in front of 20 people teaching them to do a, a, burpee. a burpee or whatever <laughs> it might be that day. Um, but, but it really, and I, I'd love to get, um, some of our coaches or maybe even the, the owner onto the podcast at yeah. some point and talk about the way that, um, even, Fitness and community dynamics work together in much the same way as church dynamics. And other people Mm -hmm. have talked about the way that, that, you know, Christianity and CrossFit or spirituality go together. And we don't necessarily have to repeat any of that stuff that's been done. But there are interesting pastoral dynamics in terms of shepherding people. If I can use that as a metaphor now, shepherding people toward physical health, even holistic health, the way that in the local church we're trying to shepherd people toward spiritual health, emotional health, Mm -hmm. Christ-likeness. And maybe
0: there's, I mean, to do it well, I don't think that every pastor needs to be a fitness expert, but I think to do it well, there probably should be some awareness of that. Actually, I just, when I was hanging out with Mason last night, he works for Baker and he just, he gave me a copy of a book called think fractured and faithful or faithful and fractured or something like that. And it's um, basically based on this study that this group did on the life of pastors and how many of them deal with f- um, health issues, how many of them deal with mental health issues and all of this stuff. And like, why is it um, that that pastors don't take care of their bodies, don't take care of their their physical, mental health, spiritual health, whatever. Is it because we're too focused on one thing? Is it because we've prioritized, you know, misprioritized or whatever? But um, yeah, I think that's interesting to see that. I I think probably some of the, the pastors who, you know, are aware of that holistic reality of our lives are, are the ones who are, I think, healthy in a good way. I think Eugene Peterson ran the Boston Marathon, so... Did he really? At one point, yeah. He talks about that in his memoir because usually uh, marathons are on Sundays, so he always is kind of conflicted,
1: but Boston is, a, is on a Monday, so he was able to do that. And yet, when you say that, I'm not at all surprised right. that that would make sense right. as part of his life or right. his rhythm. Right. Well, that's a, a lot of uh, I, that's actually one thing that
0: I've been kind of learning as I've been digging into. Uh, Finding more pastors who are kind of like-minded in, in me, as me, um, is that that is a rhythm for a lot of a lot of um, people is to do that you know running or some sort of like regular fitness as part of their their routine and that, I think that's a good thing. Something that I've been doing for the last year and a half, two years now. I took a little break, but yeah.
1: For sure. So that's what I'm doing. Cool. And um, love. Being local here, just I live right down the street from the college, so I can walk to work. Didn't walk today, saw your car in the parking lot. I dropped my son off at preschool, called you out on the podcast. You got me. <laughs> wow, that's two references to my driving in the past two days. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, tell the story.
0: Yesterday, I was driving up Granville Avenue on the way home from <laughs> Madcap, eating with uh, having a cup of coffee with Andrew, and uh. Waiting in the traffic that Granville Avenue can be That was like a it, quarter
1: mile back up There's backup. a
0: school zone and the freeway was busy So everybody was on Granville Avenue You gotta take centuries. And all of a sudden From my backside From my well, probably like my, uh, my Eight o'clock Comes this minivan Buzzing next to me in a, On a two way road Two lane one way road So this guy pulls into oncoming traffic or where oncoming traffic would be, buzzes past me, cuts through a parking lot, cuts through another street, and then tries to find another way around. And as he goes by, I see the Eighth Day Gym sticker on the back, and I realize this is none, o- none other than Matthew Lovren.
1: <laughs> I can't believe you're <laughs> Becoming, right in front
0: of me. How did you not notice? I'm the only person that has a Seattle Mariners and Seattle Seahawk Greyhound a, sticker. It's a it's a Hyundai. The Honda. Fit oh, you gone. driving the white one? Yeah. That's I don't have the fit anymore. Attention. We got a Subaru
1: back. If there was a Greyhound sticker, I would have noticed it. You would have noticed it, yeah. Okay, so I didn't recognize your car for one thing. So if you would have recognized me, would it Maybe. have changed? It might have changed. It might have changed my state of mind. Okay, so I have a good explanation for this. <laughs> you never have a good explanation for what I did. So, <laughs> but here's my here's my thought process, and I committed. No, and few people know what that move is actually called. As you cut that a crime through the through the parking lot. <laughs> It's called an S.O.A.S.O. <laughs> you know where I learned that? No. Almost Live. Oh, yeah. The old Seattle the uh, yeah. sketch comedy show. Yeah. It was good stuff. And so they had all the bad things that you would do with your car. There was like <laughs> uh, the S.O.A.S.O. cutting the corner. And then there was the second. It's that second. It's the moment where you shut your door and you realize the keys are locked in the car. It's the <laughs> moment in between. That's the igna second. <laughs> uh so anyway i was on my way to a craigslist deal i was trying to do a craigslist deal (laughs) what was it and it was for a little girl's bike with training wheels for adeline okay so i had to stop at home and get the cash and go meet the guy (laughs) and so i was feeling pressed for time and what is this why do i ever take granville avenue in the first place i know i always
0: have that same feeling every time i'm on granville avenue like you can take Godfrey, you can take. Century. I used to live Both on Granville faster. Avenue. You I know. know I always so think about was... you when I drive past. But I it up, lived it's... on it. I lived on the section like before that horrible traffic section. Home. You know. Yeah. yeah, I lived on Franklin. And did you get the bike? We got the bike. Good. Did she ride it yet? Yeah, it was uh, raining all took last a, night. She
1: took a practice on it. Good for like, her. Wool. We'll get her going. Good for her. And then everybody was on me about like the balance bikes. Like you got to be doing a balance bike. You shouldn't have training wheels. Oh like, right, right. You right. know, we taught three kids to ride a bike <laughs> with training wheels. We're just we're not making the shift to the balance bike right now. Good for you, man. If
0: I've learned anything, you just do your thing. And <laughs> I was <would've> just
1: <laughs> I was I was doing my thing with a Craigslist deal. <laughs> well, sweet. Well, uh. Yeah, it's good to
0: kind of, we've been talking through this stuff kind of outside of the podcast, but I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you to get back into the classroom. I know, you know, we all go back and forth on kind of where we're going and where we're being pulled and called. But for me, I mean, you are a teacher and you're, that's kind of, I think you are at your best when you're able to have that kind of interaction and, and connection with people looking into their eyes rather
1: than looking into their blackboard posts. <laughs> online. Yeah. It's, it's really a remarkable difference. And even, even shifting to, you know, now I'm in the classroom for three classes a week this past semester versus, you know, one in yeah. the fall or something like that. The way that my, this might just be my perception, but it's like the way that my impact on students in terms of relationships and in terms of meaningful conversations in terms of people coming to me and saying, you know, can you mentor me? Can you talk yeah. through this issue with me? That just went through the roof yeah. as opposed to me sitting in the office staring at a screen.
0: Yeah, when, that's interesting because you're essentially doing the same thing in both contexts. You're providing information and then keeping people in check as they do their assignments. But there's that reality of like being physically present with people and like uh, that... I don't know without trying to sound too new agey that energy that kind of exists in a personal one-on-one face-to-face thing that that creates a dynamic that's that's different and and well, I like mean we it's... were intended to have face-to-face interactions we weren't intended to to communicate via the ethers
1: yeah I mean if it's if it's uh appropriate to say this you said energy but i think it's spiritual yeah absolutely my spirit connecting with your spirit teacher to student or human to human where uh there is an exchange of of intellect emotion will Mm uh you know if you take it to the level of fitness or coaching like there's sometimes like bodily exchange like i touch your shoulder to put your shoulder in this position or Mm -hmm. demonstrate for you with my body how to do this thing and when, like, when someone gets it, yeah, and the, the light bulb goes off, or they're able to do something they never done before, it's it's like a constant reward, yeah, you know, and it motivates you to keep going. Yeah, I think in ministry, in the grind of ministry, local church ministry, those moments are more rare. Yeah, that you don't see the light bulb go on as often. It's it's the person who comes to you years later and says, "Oh, remember when you said yeah. this? That was really important to me."
0: Yeah. So, but at, but at the same time, you like I don't have a whole lot of interactions outside of face to face with people as mm-hmm. well, you know. And so maybe in the sermon when, when you're talking to the whole congregation, you don't necessarily see that that connection point.
1: It's not that it's not much. that it's not yeah. happening. It's that you don't get the, yeah. the immediate back, yeah, yeah. The right. feedback of Right, it. right, right. So what has been going on for you?
0: Well, I just, uh, on Saturday, was it Saturday, we had our graduation. I got graduated with my master's degree from Grace. Kind of a weird uh, thing because I finished my work about a year ago. I think right about the time we were, did our last podcast, I had finished my thesis and was about to defend it, maybe, or I already had defended it. But the way that graduation worked, it was like a year later, so I was telling my friend, it's kind of like... Being a Catholic You know I've finished all my work But I didn't get the reward For a year later So <laughs> It's a purgatory reference There for you uh, Limbo To the One or two of you Catholics <laughs> listening to Sorry. this Sorry We love our We love our friends um, But yeah So that was uh, More rewarding Than I was expecting it to be Just the ceremony Of Of the graduation um, You know because I've already finished the work, it wasn't like I wasn't really expecting it to be much. It's just kind of okay, let's just get this formality out of the way. But I don't know, there was something about the ceremony and like the putting on of the robe and getting standing the, in line standing, for two innings, yeah, <laughs> getting the hood on. That's like I guess those physical, tangible things that like mark whatever achievement or change or, you know, there's something about experiencing the actual ceremony that, that was very, it was a very rewarding thing. Um, I spoke as well. I gave one of the addresses for the, um,
1: that was really great. And if I can be so bold, you saved those speeches. (laughs) There are some great speeches, but yours saved the speeches. Well, it was weird. It was, uh,
0: manuscripted, you know, Because I don't, I don't usually preach from a manuscript, but as a speech, um, it was that. And so, to some degree, it was kind of nice because the jitters of speaking in front of a whole group of people that I don't have a relationship with yet—standing room only. Yeah, but those jitters are kind of um, lowered a little bit when I'm reading it because you know I got all, I got all the thing there. It was, it kept that stupid tassel kept like glinting on my ear. Which was really annoying, but I realized why I usually don't wear tassels when I preach. It's part of the. It's part of that
1: multisensory <laughs> it experience is, that you were talking about.
0: It was definitely what is mind. this
1: thing? <laughs> Get it out of here!
0: I hated it, but uh, it was so. Yeah, so reading it, it was great because I actually have been kind of experimenting with manuscripting my sermons a little bit, not in the delivery, but in my preparation, like spending time to manuscript out in order to kind of be more specific on how I'm formulating the exact things that I'm saying, which in a preaching context, doesn't, I'm learning. It hasn't really worked for me because there'll be many times when I am kind of just going off the cuff, not off the cuff, but I'm preaching. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, I was supposed to say that one particular line and then I try to fit it all in. But anyways, so I'm doing this and uh, it was great because it was a fairly diverse crowd at at graduation you're getting some amens there at first it was like I was I was just kind of going like the first half you know people were just kind of listening and then like halfway through it I started hearing like hmm mm -hmm, mm." and I'm like the person just clearing his throat or somebody's like talking on their phone or something or but then it like I started to like realize like oh this is like I'm get, I'm like doing this thing here where I'm like preaching and, and I'm getting the uh huh yeah woo the the amens the feedback and then I, I my sermon or my my speech kind of led up to um, me reading Philippians whatever it is four twelve or something or not 412, four twelve four four eight four nine uh, where Paul talks maybe it's three it's three it's three where Paul talks about pressing on you know towards the goal that that Christ has for him uh, and like. Somebody started clapping and I think just kind of like expressive and then like other people started clapping and then suddenly like the whole place just started like done. I was not done. I was like it was I was just like moving up. We just needed an organ and I kind of <laughs> and it was very kind of awkward for me because I'm not used to a congregation that's like so like interactive with what I'm saying. So I kind of just like stop. I think I said awkwardly like, huh, uh we can clap for Paul. Huh? <laughs> it was, and uh but then uh, they kind of died down it and, and I finished it up but it was fun uh, doing that but that was that was kind of a different experience but yeah so that's graduated and that's done um, but that that work in that program and I think we've talked about this to some degree on this on this podcast in the past um, really fundamentally shaped um, how I do ministry and really I think kind of how I do life, how I understand spirituality and how I understand like, um, my, my role as a pastor and as a Christian and all of that stuff, um, especially my thesis. And and I think maybe we'll save some of this and talk about it later at a different, in a different episode. But my thesis was focused on the role of the sermon in light of, um, kind of the reality of, that we are people who are very practice-based, and it's not just the information that we get, but it's um, it's the things that we're doing, the liturgical, you know, to use that word loosely, the liturgical practices that we're involved in inside the church and outside the church that are ultimately shaping us. And so, but the sermon kind of tends to be more of a just an information passing of information. And so, how can the sermon be formative, yet not kind of In that whole thing, and so just really uh, digging into a lot of James K. Smith, um, some Carl Bart, kind of dipping my toes into the mighty, the mighty river of of Carl, has really helped to shape me and like my understanding of what's happening when I preach, and what's happening when I'm preparing a sermon, and what's happening when I'm worshiping with my congregation and
1: but yeah. you kind of in that midst of that project, even though you really focused on the sermon, you really laid out like a big much bigger philosophy of ministry. Yeah. Um and we could talk about that more at a different time, where where it has to do with the really the whole life of the church mm-hmm. as a whole congregation is growing together in yeah. these different practices. Yeah, and recognizing that everything that
0: you do as a church, but especially everything that you do in your Sunday worship service is shaping and forming people in a particular way, and you don 't have to acknowledge or recognize that that 's happening for it to actually be true, so everything from like the announcements you know and and uh, where or how you put scripture reading or what 's going on all of that is shaping what we believe about God, you know, because these are our practices that we're doing and we're doing these in the awareness that this is all happening in the presence of God. So how's that that shaping? And so for me and you um, and probably a lot of our listeners growing up in kind of like the non-denom evangelical world where um, we are very intentional about not being stuffy and like being authentic in free form in our worship and not free form, like, led by the spirit, everything, but you know, not having those rules and boundaries on, on how we worship and whatever. Um, <clears throat> we can tend to think that those practices aren't like, we don't have liturgies because you know, there's no smoke, there's no incense, there's no standing and kneeling. And so there's no kneeling pad. Right. So we're not a liturgical church, but all of those things are, uh, so here's a, here's a funny story on Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> Mason and I, uh, we're both kind of getting into this idea of like the liturgical practices and kind of how that is all shaping and we're like we let's go to a like old school liturgical church on Christmas Eve for a Christmas Eve service. So we first started thinking well maybe we'll go to a, one of the catholic services and like well we're not really going to be able to fully participate. We can't do communion and stuff because we're not in uh with catholicism. So let's try to find a Protestant church. And so we narrowed it down to uh, an Episcopal church here in Grand Rapids and they had a 10 o'clock service. And now, that's the
1: one on Clyde Park, as long as we got a podcast yes. full of like Grand Rapids street. Yes.
0: Names. Yep. Uh, Holy Trinity Episcopal church. I they've believe.
1: also got a sweet, if you haven't been there, they've got a sweet prayer labyrinth yeah, behind prayer the church in the woods, which is one of my favorite places to go when I'm mm-hmm. in that yeah extended prayer mindset, yeah.
0: mm-hmm. which If you don't know, we're not talking about David Bowie here, though. If he showed up, that would be pretty impressive. You show up and
1: David Bowie (laughs) appears in the
0: center of the labyrinth. It's just basically a. uh, Not even a maze because there's no walls, but it's just a path that you walk to kind of help you focus in your prayer. Um, But anyway, so we go to Holy Trinity on Christmas Eve and it was great. Like we showed up there. I didn't really know what to expect. And it was a small church. There was probably like. Maybe twenty people there twenty five people, so it was a lot smaller than I was expecting, very much like everybody knew each other. They were friends, they're all hanging out. There was the high school kid leading some of the hymns on guitar with I don't know if it was his dad or somebody kind of playing piano with them and and we had the whole liturgy thing, you know we came in and we got the the order of service with here's what you read here, here's what you read here, and there was very much a sense of like Mason and I had to like kind of find our bearings like are we supposed to stand here are we supposed to do this are we supposed to talk just kind of following along with what's going on Um, which was kind of it was kind of neat to be at a church where they were happy that we were there as visitors they're very welcoming and I we talked to one of the pastors afterwards and he's like yeah you should come back it'd be great Um, so there's never a sense of feeling like we were not welcome but there was also a sense of of like We're not going to completely alter the way that we worship just in order to make an outsider feel well feel welcome. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, it. Wasn't a seeker service. It wasn't a seeker service. It was like, you are welcome to join us, this is what we're doing. Come in. I think uh back to one of the the images that James K. Smith talks about in one of his books. About hospitality and in churches, a lot of times that whole like hospitality culture, especially in like the bigger kind of American growth centered churches is like, oh, yeah, you got to have your welcome center, your hospitality booth. You got to give them the coffee mug with your with your church's name on it. You got to make sure everybody feels totally comfortable, totally at home, never feels out of place at all. And that's fine. Um, Of course, we want to make people feel comfortable. But Smith gives the analogy of if you went to go live with somebody in a different country, I think he uses the example of France. If you went to go stay with a family in France, you would not expect them to completely alter their normal patterns of life in order to make you feel like you're just at home in America. You wouldn't expect them to start serving American food, talking, speaking in English all the time, only watching American television, you know, just doing American things. You would expect them to do what they're doing, live their lives in a way that was welcoming to you in a way that was to some degree accommodating, but you would expect them to still be French people doing French thing, eating French food. And I think that's a healthier way to think about Kind of outsiders coming into our church. This is what we do. This is, these practices are important to us, and this is kind of what shapes us, and we think that there's value in these things. We're going to continue to do this. We love for you to join us, and we're going to help you kind of get there, but we're not going to totally alter these things that are core to our, our identity for the explicit purpose of making you feel not out of
1: place at all. Like it's okay for a visitor to feel uncomfortable, (laughs) to feel a little bit out of place. For sure. To maybe be overwhelmed by the experience a little bit. Yeah. That, that not every aspect of what we do as a church needs to cater to a kind of consumeristic mindset or customer service. Like make sure that that experience for the customer is as pleasurable as possible. So they'll come back to your store and buy again. Yeah. And you're, what you're saying is that it's it's really inverting that and saying we are who we are. Yeah. And you are welcome to be a part of this, and we would love for you to be a part of it. But we're also not going to be uh, overly accommodating yeah. in terms of making you feel comfortable. Yeah. I,
0: um, I We've talked on this podcast about my love for Madcap Coffee. It's one of the best coffee shops in the country, and we are blessed to have them right here. And I'm friends with with a lot of the the guys there and Trevor, the owner. And we've had some long conversations about customer service within kind of a niche industry like that of like specialty coffee is like, to some degree, you all, you want to be welcoming to people and they've kind of shifted a little bit to, to make sure they want to make sure that the customer experience is, is valuable and they're giving people what they want. But to some degree, the thing that they're offering, the thing that makes them worth existing as a coffee shop is that they have a very unique approach to, to coffee and and not just them, but kind of all these specialty coffee places. Like this is what we do. We don't do coffees that are overly sweet with a lot of like syrups in our, in our latte drinks. We don't, you know, what we're presenting is what makes us what we are. So to some degree, they're asking the consumer to kind of change, Adapt. (laughs) adapt to what they're presenting because that is what, as what it is. So there's, a, there's always that balance of like welcoming people and making them feel comfortable, but also acknowledging that what we have is, we know what we have is good. Like we know that this coffee is really good as it is. We know that as you begin to kind of learn about it and drink it and experience it, most people are going to, are going to find a lot of value in that. But if we completely change that in order to make sure that somebody gets their big B sugar bear or whatever it's called, no offense,
1: um, None taken. That That's going to change, change that. Uh, the sugar bear. I was just going to say that, that that's not to stop someone from going down the Absolutely. street to the Big B or driving through McDonald's Absolutely. or getting coffee from Speedway.
0: Yeah. Do your thing.
1: And we've all, and we've all done that. It's just a matter of the, the total experience. And I think coming back to the liturgical experience yeah. to use that word again, loosely or metaphorically, that. When I walk into Speedway to buy gas, and I'm going to get a cup of coffee when I'm there. Do you actually do that? Oh, sure. Oof. All right. Well, who coffee. do you think I am? <laughs> some eyebrow? I don't think I've ever drinking a cup of Mad coffee. Some Madcap coffee customer? <laughs> I get coffee from Madcap every now and then, but I feel like I have to dress up. I usually up. have to dress up. I usually am the one who buys it for you, though. I have to wear my Madcap vest <laughs> before I go downtown. I got to have some kind of accessory on... In order, in order to walk like in, like me, just always wear black, and you'll be fine. Oh, okay, that's that's always good advice. So there's a, a liturgical experience of you know, what am I doing, and what's the purpose behind what I'm doing? Yeah. So in the speedway, I fully acknowledge that I'm sure I'm consumeristic. I'm pragmatic. Yeah. I'm on to my next thing. Yeah. I'm I am you know yeah you know a swipe. I don't have this, but a swipe in my yeah. speedy rewards card because I'll get the points. Yeah. You know for so that that all of that experience is so diametrically opposed to walking into madcap for this special specialty coffee that's been you know sourced yeah. single origin relationship with the farmer yeah. all the way through to the roasting yeah. process to when it gets to my cup there's just been this incredible amount of thought and care and mm-hmm. craftsmanship the difference between that i mean you can't you can't say that those are both coffee right there's a difference. Right, right. They may both come
0: from the coffee bean, but there's, yeah, the product is different. The experience is
1: different. The everything is different. And, and it's more demanding. Yeah. I think the, the experience of going to Madcap is is more demanding, and I can't go in there as a consumer. Yeah. I go in there as a, a participant or as a, a member, even if it's a fringe mm-hmm. member, a member of a community of yeah. some kind. Yeah. In
0: fact, yesterday I was when we were there. Um, they had their new spring specialty drinks out, and um, the guy, the barista, was kind of walking me through the different ones. And this one, one of them specifically, he said it's it's like in a, a shot of espresso with um, I, I don't know exactly what it was infused in. But then they took a f- um, hibiscus tea. Froze it in freeze it into a sphere, so you have an ice cube made out of tea, and you put that in the espresso and so as you drink, it starts out very espresso heavy, but then as the the sphere begins to melt, it becomes very hibiscus and tea heavy and so he specifically said said you shouldn't get this if you're just getting it and leave. You should only get this if you're going to be here for an hour or so, if you're going to just kind of sit here and just nurse this drink because the drink itself, like it needs that time to develop and become like part of this experience. And so like, you know, most a speedway is not going to serve you a coffee saying you need to spend an hour <laughs> savoring this beverage or else you're not fully going to under not that they wouldn't sell it to me if i still wanted it but he like recommended like don't buy this if you're just gonna if you're just gonna leave what i ended up getting by the way and we'll get back to this is an e and t espresso and tonic it was one of the best things i've ever had it was espresso tonic water um it's a coffee soda. It was yeah. There there might have been there was something else in there, but then it was garnished with a sprig of fresh rosemary, and so it was like this really like earthy, savory like Like a roast chicken. It's weird, yeah. Like you would not (laughs) expect that to taste good, and like the way that he described it to me was like it's going to be very like dirt, like it's going to taste like dirt, fresh cut grass, and like. All I'll right, I'll props go for to you it for a
1: money for that it one. was
0: it was brilliant like it was one of those things where even talking about it right now it it I know it doesn't sound appealing, it's but like chills the Taking you back. the the details in that drink like we'll have to go down there because they're only I on can, they're only on there for for this next month until June, in. so you and I will have to go down there' cause I want live yeah,' cause I want to try the hibiscus sphere, and I didn't get that all right. Anyway, so back to, down, back, back to Holy Trinity. So we went Mason and I go to this, this service, and we're figuring it out and whatever. And like as the service is going, I know we're, we're moving towards communion, right? Because communion is going to happen. What's going to happen? And we know it's coming up, and I'm, we're kind of looking forward to it. Like part of the reason that we decided to go to this specific church is so that we could, we could do communion and kind of have that communal experience with with the congregation at Holy Trinity Mason um, is, we just celebrated last night, his most recent clean CT scan. Mason has been battling cancer for the last year and a half, a little less than a year and a half. And he is on his way towards being totally, I mean, as far out of the woods as as one can be. So that's awesome. But he didn't want to participate in the communal cup because his immune system was really down. So it was just me. So like, as it gets closer and closer, it's like, I'm starting to get, like, the jitters. Like, I remember uh, when I played soccer in college, like, you're just kind of, like, waiting to get out there, and, like, the lineups are being called, and you're, like, heading out. Like, all right, this is it. This is the big time. We're going up, and and I'm going to do communion. So people are lined up, and and I go up, and I get in line, and uh, the guy gives me, puts the wafer on my tongue, and then it's time for the goblet, right? And so it's a shared goblet, and I really should have been... paying attention a little bit more to what's going on, but like the, the priest or whatever she was called uh, it, at this point, she's the, the point is she hands the goblet to the person partaking in communion. They take the goblet in their hand and they drink it. However, <laughs> because I reek of non-denominational evangelical and my communion experience is always the little individual cup, or the dip in the bread. I don't know what's going on here. And so I freak out. And rather than grabbing the cup, I simply tilt my head back. <laughs> and she, I think, kind of figures out what's going on and begins to start pouring the, uh, the communion uh, wine into my mouth. <laughs> Down your gullet. Like a baby bird. <laughs> And it was one of the most awkward things I've ever experienced because I'm kneeling down and it's like clinking against my teeth. And like she like at some point has to pull it away and it like dribbles down. And I just it was all happened so fast. I didn't know what
1: to do. And so all I can say is a good thing you didn't go to the Catholic mass on Christmas Eve. They would have known. You would have been in real trouble because that'd be the blood of Christ at that point. So, so that was a good
0: reminder of uh, that. I uh, we do things differently. You describe the experience
1: (laughs) of a new person walking to the counter of Madcap. It's (laughs) It's pretty much the same awkwardness of experience.
0: Except for usually they're not pouring espresso down your gullet. Uh, But anyway, so that. (laughs) It was definitely a memorable experience and something that uh though I'm we're glad that we did. The communion thing was kinda of funny, but the whole experience of just being uh there and you know, seeing how this church did its its worship service. You know, I was trying to just be there and experience it, but there's always gonna be that like pastoral observation happening too of like, sure. Yeah, what are they doing here? How do we do yeah. this? How um how can we, we get moving with that? So that was That was fun. But yeah, the the whole idea of like becoming more and more intentional at Celebration as non-denom as we are, as loose as we are. I mean, in fact, Celebration's origins in many ways was we want to be a church that is a little more free in the way that we're able to worship. Worship styles, worship practices, who can give communion you know that was a big part about the origins of celebration is it just the elders who are allowed to you know distribute communion or or can can anybody do that um, so how can i how can I begin to incorporate that into our identity of of a church that is fairly loose yet still like okay we're going to start doing a call to worship at the beginning of service because a call to worship is a reminder that the church service doesn 't work like online shopping where I can decide when I want to shop, where I want to shop uh what i 'm wearing you know when I shop, where if i 'm in my bed in my pajamas, everything happens on my time if the store that i 'm shopping at doesn't have what I want, I just go to another store and I find everything is on my terms. The call to worship is basically saying actually the, the, the way of God is not on your terms. The way of God is on his terms. And sometimes those terms are different. And sometimes you have to adapt to, um, the, the, the way that God is calling us to live as people, the priorities that we're called to have as his people, um, the values and understanding of sin, you know, of, of what is right, what is wrong may be different than what I would personally choose but it's happening in God's terms. So the call to worship is basically saying, look, church starts not when you decide to wander in, not when we decide we want to start it, but church starts at this point and it starts on God's terms, which is this little tiny
1: thing. It's not even necessarily that we start at 930. Right. It's not the time on the clock. Exactly. It's, it starts with the invocation of God. Exactly. It starts when, when we are called together
0: we don't get to decide, but even though it's the the worship leader who's doing the call to worship, the idea is that we are being called by something outside of us to join that's, this and begin this. That's interesting
1: because in, in our church, we, um, I think we tend toward the more attractional yeah. um, outreach model of church. And so we use like this, a countdown timer that counts <laughs> down and it's very yeah. like artistic yeah, 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 and, yeah. and cutesy. Um, tastefully done, you know, counting yeah. down, you know, from two minutes, like the service yeah. is about to start, you know, we've got, you know, Bible trivia yeah. on the screen before that or yeah. something like that. So, uh, but the way that you describe that, and it just kind of came to me as you were talking that actually we're, we are running according to something other than the, the, invocation of God or the calling together of everyone to worship. We're all Including the worship leaders, like enslaved to that countdown timer yeah. that says that we start in we like we punch the clock when our shift starts yeah. at nine thirty. Yeah, it's not that the clock is according to yeah you know inclining our hearts toward God. Yeah, at this yeah. Particular I think the moment. principle
0: can still be there though because it still is like something besides me determines sure. when this begins. But yeah, that's interesting have to talk to your pastor about that. I will. We love your pastor. We'll have to have him on. Caleb He's never Beef been is. on. He's never been we'll on the We'll make podcast. that happen. Caleb's a a, a good friend. I, I really appreciate him and his ministry and all that stuff. But anyway, so like just something like that. Call to worship. Just a simple little part of what we do now, um, being shaped by this understanding that practices matter and as, as trivial and as perhaps fleeting as they may be. And not everyone maybe even recognizes that. But the idea with any liturgy, again, to use that word loosely, is when you do it over and over and over and over and over and over, it eventually starts to seep into you and it starts to become part of who you are and who we are as a
1: community. Yeah, and when uh, I was going to add that when people do that together that begins to form and shape them together as a community together right. this is what we do right and so there's there can be a monotony to that and if i if i can bring this back to the gym cuz yeah. where my head is yeah. at least part of the time now that you know we'll often begin a class with just a run around the block or um 3 minutes of yeah. cardio movement of some kind and that is sort of a call to worship regardless mm-hmm. of what the coach will say 3 minutes of cardio and you people will begin because they know that's this yeah. is what we do yeah. together yeah and there can sometimes be frustration with that monotony like ah oh, this is always yeah. the same like and there are ways to warm up differently there yeah. are ways to do the yeah. beginning of a service yeah. differently but at the same time people I think because we're created in the image of God, we value order, we're creatures of time and space, those those appointed times and seasons matter to us. Absolutely. And I think it's funny because the way that
0: I always had been taught is like, you want to go out of your way to break up the monotony of worship because if you don't, it's going to become root and it's going to become meaningless, which is kind of like, again, the whole non-denom protestant evangelical thing is like we want to re react to what we see kind of happening in the mainline church as like a non-authentic spirituality by doing something that is more authentic and that means breaking it up and, and causing people to like oh that's different and and i think there's something to that i don't want to reject that completely um but to some degree I think the something different is the fact that we do the same thing every time every week in the same way that you that always becomes, start with cardio that is the thing that's different that is the thing that's like okay this is weird like this is there's not a very many other places in my life where I gather together with a group of people and do the same thing every single time we're together you know
1: that is the distinctiveness exactly of not looking like every other exactly speedway exactly on the corner yeah
0: well, it's been good uh, catching up. We got, I think, a lot more to talk about. So Yeah, a lot of directions to
1: go. Look forward to, yeah. to exploring those in future episodes. We'll, we'll be back with guests. Get a fantastic lineup of guests. Oh, <laughs> you do? Oh, we will.
0: Okay, we will. Okay, we will. good. Yeah. But let us know if uh, there's anything you want us to hear, you want to hear us talk about on the podcast. This is now the uh, Pastoral Calling 2.0. We're back at it and hopefully going to be regular again. Um, at least a monthly podcast if not every other week you know we'll see how um, how things go but
1: yeah looking forward to a good summer thanks for listening in everybody we'll talk to you soon Bye. you've been listening to the pastoral calling podcast with jim shamaria and me matt Lovren. join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church if you like us Make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.